Today, on the Mission Readiness Review. A plethora of launches this Thursday. Will Skynet begin with animals? And a secret satellite and a secret startup's rocket launch. Discussions and more, up next on the Mission Readiness Review. The Mission Readiness Review's music, Pod Dreams, is created by Stefan Kartenberg. Thank you, Stefan. Welcome to the March 25th, 2018 Mission Readiness Review. You're listening to Episode 3, Learning About the Birds and the Bees. From windy southeastern downtown Colorado Springs, I'm John Holst, and this is my co-host, Ingrid. Hi, John. Um, so you mentioned secrets a couple times, but how secret can they be if we're talking about them? Well, they're terrible secrets, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Well, we have, uh, as John mentioned before, a plethora of upcoming launches, four, I believe. So first is one of the secretive launches. It might be an astro rocket out of Alaska. Could be anywhere between March 26th or maybe as late as April 6th. And that is suborbital. Uh, also on March 29th, or the first March 29th, a GSLV rocket out of India. Uh, the satellite going up is a GSAT 6A Indian communication satellite into geosynchronous orbit. Now, that one was supposed to have been sent up last uh, March 24th, but now it's March 29th. Also on March 29th, a Falcon 9 out of California is sending up 10 Iridium Next communication satellites, numbers 41 through 50. That is going into low Earth orbit. Also, again on March 29th, uh, the Long March ro rocket, aka Changzheng 3B, out of obviously China, um, it's sending up a Baidu Compass GPS-type satellite into medium Earth orbit. And then, an uh, unknown date sometime this week, uh, Soyuz 21V out of Russia. It's sending up an EMKA Experimental Russian Military Reconnaissance small satellite into low Earth orbit. Last week's launches, well, there was really only one. It was the Soyuz FG out of Kazakhstan. It occurred last Wednesday. It was Expedition 55, a Soyuz capsule with three folks on it to the International Space Station. Uh, rendezvoused successfully with the International Space Station on Friday. Those people are safe and sound and on the ISS. A postponed launch as the Ariane 5 ECA from French Guiana. It's now sending up on March or April 5th, and it was March 21st. So now for our risk matrix, the analysis of some of last week's news. So what happened to those uh, space bees that's that funny. got me all excited? Well, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's the saga is, continues, I guess. So IEEE Spectrum put in a new article this last week following up on the space bees. Space bees, as a reminder, the company that owns the space bees, Swarm Technologies, decided to go ahead and launch those space bees on an Indian rocket uh, earlier this year. They weren't supposed to. They did not get the Federal Communication Commission's approval to do so. And so, yeah, now it's a problem. We have four small satellites up there. 
without any government approval from the U.S., even though it's an Indian launch, those uh, satellites are using radio spectrum that the Federal Communications Commission needs to approve to be allowed to use. They did not get that approval. I have to wonder if they thought they got approval or they were unclear on the process and just giving them the benefit of the doubt. Well, um, they might be unclear in the process. There have been several comments from other entrepreneurs that have noted that the FCC's process for licensing is very, very cumbersome. Um, so it might benefit all parties involved if people get together with the FCC to maybe figure out how to make it less cumbersome, streamline the process. Maybe have somebody working with them to to handhold them through the process. Especially entrepreneurs, ones who aren't even familiar with the space environment or radio spectrum. So, yeah, that sure would be great if the FCC could do that. I'm sure some well-meaning folks inside the FCC have done what they can, but it is a bureaucratic structure and they have their processes in place. And sometimes it's hard to deviate from that without uh, running afoul of certain internal kingdoms. Or maybe Swarm just didn't care. Well, that might be too. And in that case, um, well, that's the other part of it. We don't know what the FCC is still going to do. They could find them. We know that they've waved off another potential space speed launch in April, saying, nope, you can't launch those either. So the company that's supposed to do that, which is Rocket Lab, has said, well, we aren't going to launch any uh, satellites that don't have the the right permissions. So since the FCC has said no to space bees, I'm pretty sure Rocket Lab will say, nope, they're not going up. Mm. So there's that. The thing is the space bees, well, they're part of uh, an Internet of Things trend that we're seeing with space right now. Uh, they're supposed to be communications relays for things, little machines that are networked but they are networked to space satellites, to satellites, in other words. The satellites act as relays for those so that they, the, they can communicate, say, with a, a, a maybe a mother network somewhere on, else on the planet's surface. So what does this Internet of Things have to do with this uh, space bee story? Well, um, they're tiny. The, so the Internet of Things tend to be a little tiny, although we know some things like cars aren't. But, uh, you know, if you use an Arduino or something like that with a network, those tend to be small. Uh, a Google Home tends to be small. Um, not saying that those will communicate with satellites, but it's an example of an Internet of Things thing. So this sounds like a, a embiggening trend that needs to be addressed. Right, which actually is um, a problem because um, there's been a lot of issues with space situational awareness. So that's the act of tracking satellites, being aware of where they're at and knowing what they're doing with one of the reasons why the FCC did not want space bees up there was because they were concerned about the size of the space bees. They were too small to track and uh, therefore, and, and they didn't have any maneuvering capability for those satellites. So even if you had a collision avoidance maneuver that needed to happen, it would all have to be on the part of another party and not swarm technologies to be able to accomplish that maneuver. But the problem is we're relying on older technologies, established technologies. And this is something that maybe budding entrepreneurs generally need to be aware of. They're going to work in space is there are a lot of established groups, including like the joint space operations cell, which does the tracking for 
all satellites and objects in orbit. So um, the entrepreneurs are, they have these big ideas and it's kind of running up against the limitations of the tracking capability currently. Right. So for the Joint Space Operations Cell, they have basically a military mandate to track objects, detect and track objects and and basically be aware of where they're at when maybe they're in the same kind of orbit as a military United States satellite. So to be aware that they're there and even possibly try to determine what those objects are doing. And that sounds like a big undertaking, just keeping track of everything up there. Right. Especially this last year in 2017, a lot of objects went up into space. But and a lot more are going to be going up. Right. So with space bees, we think that's a trend. We think, but... The trend is exacerbated by the fact that it's old technology or older technology and older doctrine that's being used to track objects right now from the Joint Space Operations Center. It's also just the mission of the Joint Space Operations Center that's sort of getting in the way. They don't have a safety mission per se. It's all military. That said, there are other folks out there that do track commercial companies that do offer these tracking capabilities like, say, Leo Labs or... I think it's the Space Data Association, and each one of those has different ways of tracking them. But I think ultimately we're going to have to decide whether we want to go all in on having all these capabilities because of space that helps us become more comfortable, better, more knowledgeable about the Earth, more comfortable on the Earth. And to do that, we need more assets in space to help with that. But that then leads to the conundrum of what do we do if we're putting more objects in space up there, that means we probably need to put more objects in space just dedicated to tracking objects in space. So it, it sounds like a spiral, but I think there's a point where you have enough objects in space to track, You just that's the optimal point, and you still will have be able to have some healthy growth without worrying about collisions. Hmm. So there we are. Why space bees is kind of important, if only because they're probably going to set an example, um, whether they wanted to or not, for what the government can do. They're also kind of on the fringe, but like I said, I think they're on something bigger. It will probably be more satellites, and I know people are thinking of the Earth observation satellites like Planet that are up there, or the upcoming communication broadband satellite like from SpaceX or O3B, but. I think the IoT satellites, which are which are a subset of communication satellite, will probably be more prevalent than what we even see from just the regular communication satellites that are there right now. So that's a fringe thing. And that actually leads to our other story, which is also kind of on the fringes. But they call it an IoT story as well, the Internet of Things story. And that's uh, the Icarus Initiative. What is the Icarus Initiative? It's- well, um, basically, it's a Russian-German demonstration mission. They have managed to get uh, antennas transported up to the International Space Station, and now those antennas are mounted externally on the ISS. So those antennas are there to actually track devices on animals. Uh-huh. So the birds, for example. These trackers will be mounted on birds so that every time the ISS goes across over wherever these birds are with the tracker, the tracker will be able to communicate with the ISS and you get information regarding the the migration um, patterns, perhaps, of those birds. So we do something similar to this now. I've seen 
video of turtles getting uh, trackers put on the on their shells or uh, bears getting shot up with a chip to be monitored. So how is, is this just the next step? This is the next step. The problem with tracking bears the way we do it right now or moose or birds are there's great swaths of area where their communications is limited. So they might be able to get a ping from a tag somewhere as it inadvertently crosses the path of some communications tower of some kind, kind of some kind of receiver to receive that ping. And they don't tend to last very long, I guess, because I think the batteries on those tend to be very small, um, hmm. but they may be just long enough to, you know, those might be efficient enough to where they get enough data from them. But those are very, very primitive compared to what the Icarus initiative is going to do with their trackers. So uh, what sort of information do these tags have? Well, so the, the trackers have GPS chips in them. So they know exactly where they're at at any given time. They have 3D acceleration accelerometers on them. They have magnetometers on them. There's temperature sensors and a few other sensors they didn't mention. Are these like Fitbits for animals? They are like Fitbits for animals. That's what it sounds like. These things also, though, unlike Fitbits, these things also apparently can have a solar cell on them that allows them to recharge. Very nice. Which is kind of cool. And the the batteries are obviously rechargeable. And then they actually have a computer on them which processes this data, which is pretty neat. Um, So it's not just a matter of the sensors sensing and sending this data. There's actually a, a little microprocessor on there that's doing all this calculation. And one of the calculations it's doing is determining when the ISS comes overhead next so that it knows when to shoot up the information. So it's not even beaming any sort of radio wave into the air until it knows the ISS is above. Very efficient. (laughs) Very neat, right? I mean, and then before the ISS, before it stops communicating with the ISS, it actually does a calculation to determine when next the ISS will be overhead. So that's kind of cool. I mean, so it, it knows when to start transmitting based on really fancy geofencing, if you think about it. And then it knows when to stop based on that same technology. It's using a computer. It's networking. It shoots up this data package of all this information. Basically, probably the history of what the bird's been doing since the last time it communicated with the ISS. And scientists can look at this information. So this information gets shot up, shot up to the ISS and then relayed back down to an operations center for the Icarus Initiative. And the scientist can also choose for different information that it wants rather than what it's simply just shooting up to, on its own. Right. So it's almost, I don't know what their GUI is like, um, but they probably can select little data fields to be populated automatically by whatever data that this tracker is able to collect. So the big question is why are why the, the Icarus? Why is it important to track all of these animals? Well, part of it is, I mean, like I said before, there are big areas where we just don't have, aren't able to track these animals. Uh, with space and with the ISS, you're able to cover more landmass uh, that, that you normally wouldn't be able to cover. And so it allows you to maybe detect migration patterns that weren't, you didn't know even existed for some of these things, like the birds, for example. Also allows folks to see if this there's, so after a while, if you can monitor what a, a migration pattern is and what's common, you, if you detect a change... That's you, where the real information comes in. Right, because it might be they're responding to 
uh, a volcanic eruption, say in Iceland, you might see a bird patterns, migration pattern just change dramatically because they can detect somehow the the waves of this eruption before it even occurs. They did testing uh, terrestrially before this current iteration, and they were able to predict by six hours a Mount Etna eruption by looking at the goats. And six hours is a good a long time. So if you can correlate that with other activity going on and other sensors on Earth, so if you have volcan- volcanologists or geologists that are tracking earthquakes, for example, if you can put all that together, you might have a better indicator of a disaster that's happening. One more data point. Right. So that's why, and one reason why. I mean, there, the other reasons is just understanding the ecosystem that's going out there. If you want to see what the pollination patterns of bees are, and I say bees because they're talking about putting these little trackers on bees as well, you can do that with the system. How big are these tags? So or the smallest small. is two and a half grams. So that's nine hundredths of an ounce. Which um, is small, but still too big for bees. Right, but apparently... They're getting I mean, there. You saw all the sensors that are in just that two and a half gram mm. bit, and they're getting smaller. I mean, our computers, our phones are getting smaller. There's no reason to think that those trackers won't get smaller. Absolutely. It's already amazing how small they are, right? So, but this is why I think, again, the space bees and this are sort of a part of a trend. They're a way of trying to make life more um, understandable to us, life on Earth, so we can see what's happening with nature around us, with some of our, the other cohabitants of the Earth. But we, it also helps us understand when we need to respond to something critically, like a disaster. Which then, I mean, the ISS only comes over every 90 minutes or so over one area and not necessarily the same area that it went over before. Which means, again, this is a demonstration mission. There probably needs to be more satellites up there to actually get more meaningful and almost near real-time information of migration patterns going on for these animals. Very cool. Indeed. And then the last story, it's very short. It's kind of cool. This refers to the secret launch that's happening out of Alaska. Is that the one I mentioned earlier? Yeah, apparently there's an entrepreneur or a startup, a rocket startup out in San Francisco. Of Um, course. Yeah, an Alameda, uh, San Francisco, New 17 helicopter just so happened to be in the area where apparently somebody was loading up a rocket or basically stowing away a rocket. Of some kind. That'll make you open your eyes. Right. You can see it on the video. Basically, what is that? It's a tiny rocket too, right? Well, it's the size of a a smaller long truck bed. So, So, yeah, it's just a regular pickup truck doing it. Right. So, it was kind of, it's kind of fun to see this news. It makes it, of course, more plausible that there is a launch occurring somewhere since this rocket looks like it's functional. You see the charring on the blacktop behind it of some sort of engine test that happened um, with that rocket. But the video, they do an interview and there's basically, it sounds like there's distillers and brewers all around that area and they're pretty jazzed about it, although they're surprised that there's a rocket just right next door. So I like how low-key they are about it. They're not worried, they're just excited. Right, which, which is, is, is fun. Yeah. But look for that. That's probably the same kind of rocket that may be launching out of Alaska uh, in the next week or so. Hey, John, speaking of uh, all this talk about animals, um, what was the first animal in space? 
It was a Russian dog. No, it was the cow that jumped over the moon. And this week we have a twofer. Why did the cow jump over the moon? I'm really afraid to ask this why. Why? <laughs> why? Because that farmer had cold hands. <sighs> and that, folks, is the bad joke of the week um, from jokesforus.com. And that's it. Before we go, we hope it's obvious we enjoy talking about space industry topics um, on this podcast. If you like what our podcast is about and find it informative, we'd ask you to please pass this on to friends and colleagues who might be interested in listening to this. Um, we're now on Podbean and on Google Music. Uh, the links are in the uh, podcast notes. We'll be moving away from SoundCloud, and it's not because SoundCloud is terrible. They've been fantastic. It's just that they're not really designed for podcasting weekly. So we're moving on to Podbean for that. But based on that, we have authority to proceed. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Bye.